Do you know what a snake oil salesman is? Well, that became popular through a guy named Clark Stanley. Yes, he was an actual snake oil salesman. And as you look at the poster, you can still Google it and find it. This is in the late 1800s. He said his snake oil could cure anything. He said it was the best liniment known to man for the cure of pain, full stop, period. Bug bites, frostbite, sore back. I mean, you just name it, the whole list of things, toothaches, it could do everything. Now, the problem is, is after a little bit of investigation, they found out that it absolutely did not work. Not only did it not have snake oil in it, it had elements of turpentine, so it didn't work. You know, we still kind of fall for the snake oil because there's all these supplements out there that they say they they actually are a magic elixir to us. I, I um, read Consumer Reports. And I read their supplement thing. There's like, here's the supplements that you definitely want to avoid because they claim, and the top claims are weight loss, mood, and anxiety. And they said, here are things that people say, there's all these studies that is going to transform your life. It's a magic elixir and it does absolutely nothing. Don't waste your money. Well, what if there was actually a magic elixir for life? I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. Scientists say that they have found that there are 106 factors that contribute towards depression. 106. But there's one thing, one, just one, that actually prevents it. It's the strongest preventer of depression in our lives. What is that elixir? And check this out, everybody. Exercise decreases our risk of death by 23 to 30%. Diet decreases our risk of death by up to 24%. But there's a magic elixir out there that decreases our risk of death by up to 45%. That's almost double exercise and diet. What is that elixir? Friends. Friends are the magic elixir of life. Can you imagine that? And we can all go out and make friends. It's right there for us. We don't have to spend money on potions. We don't have to spend money on scams. We can make friends instead. Today is all about prioritizing people. Matter of fact, Aristotle said that without friends, no one would choose to actually live. Welcome to a brand new series we kick off today called Find Your People. And this message is called The Magic Elixir. What we want to do in 2023, so this could be an awesome year, is we want to prioritize people. We want to prioritize people. You know, in a new year, everybody's thinking about health. And it's always like the number one goal. It's health. Now, usually it's physical health. And if it's not physical health right behind that, it could be financial health or other things, but always something in the health realm. But for years, it's been physical health. But this year, physical health was dethroned and mental health is number one. And what helps us with mental health? Friends help us with mental health. See, loneliness is actually a thing. Now, listen, loneliness wasn't even a word 200 years ago. Wasn't even a word. I mean, to be alone was a state of being. And today, loneliness is called the leprosy of our modern society. It really makes sense, says, because since the Industrial Revolution and people began to move and move and move, and you just got further and further and further away from those strong connections in your life, and now we're... I mean, our attention span is so short that we're never fully present because 
we're you know, looking at our phone or we're caught up in this or our mind is running here and there. We can't be totally dialed in. And so with the decrease in friendship, we have seen a radical increase in mental health issues. So in a lot of ways, it's really practical. So what we want to do is we want to get more healthy. Physically, mentally, who doesn't want to be physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, and always healthy? And actually, friendship is the magic elixir to all of that. Now, here's the thing. Friendships just don't make themselves. It takes effort. Now, let me read to you these scriptures from Luke chapter 3, because it really shows us the priority of people that the Bible lays before us and says, you know what, you need to run after this with everything you got. Here's what it says. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. People said to John the Baptist, What should we do then? The crowd asked. John the Baptist answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Well, I find it very interesting because John the Baptist is saying here in Luke chapter 3 that it's time to get right with God. How? That's the big question. How do you get Well, he answers the question. Notice the first thing he says is you should share. Well, that's really basic. We tell kids, share, share. I mean, it's a basic people principle. In other words, the Bible is saying, how do you get right with God is you got to prioritize people. You got to follow people principles. If you want to get right with God, you got to get right with people. It's amazing. Now, how do you read the Bible? I was going to say at the outset of this series, this is really important. How do you read the Bible? When I was in college and in seminary both, I took classes in hermeneutics. It's how you interpret the Bible. How do you read the Bible? I just want to say this at the beginning of this series because we're going to, we're going to really slow down and work our way into the text. Stop reading the Bible. Please. Reading the Bible will seriously mess you up. I'm serious. You've got to stop reading the Bible because reading the Bible can cause all kinds of confusion in our life. Instead, the Bible being wisdom literature, wisdom literature is meant to be studied. Actually, they memorize the Bible, right? Serious students of the Bible. And this is what the Bible is calling us to because the Bible says that it is, as wisdom literature it is like gold and you should search for wisdom like gold. So you get to really work up a sweat. So please consider this. Stop reading the Bible. Start studying the Bible. 
You got to go down deep till we can really understand. We don't need readers of the Bible. We need students of the Bible to really mine the depths and the power of it. Somebody said it like this, and I actually found this extremely helpful. We sometimes think of the Bible as a rambler house. You know what a rambler is? It's just like all on one level. But the Bible actually, because, and this is practical, there's not a lot of pens and paper floating around back when the Bible was written, right? So because you didn't have, they didn't have a lot of that, you'd have to put a lot of stuff in a small amount of space. So the Bible isn't like a rambler. The Bible is like a skyscraper in New York City. We're on a little patch of land. There's a lot of depth and you can go way down. That's the way wisdom literature is written. That's why it says that we should meditate. Even through the watches of the night, meditate, think, think, think. Actually, the Bible is very intellectually intense. And this is what we're going to go after here uh, in this study, Find Your People, and really for much of the year. So Luke writes these words. He says this at the very end. I read it. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. You are my son whom I love. Now, I read that as a reader of the Bible. I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. I get, that's God, a voice coming from heaven, confirming Jesus is my savior. I mean, wow, that's really great. And I read that and I move on. But that's not the way a student of the Bible would perceive that or interpret that. They would mind the depths. Remember, they've really paid attention. And immediately they would be alerted to this. And Jesus said at the end of the book of Luke, if you want to understand who I am, start with the law. What's the law? It's the first five books of the Bible. And they would immediately recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've seen those words before. That isn't said a whole lot. And there's a time in the Bible, matter of fact, the book of Genesis, where those words are said. And immediately their mind would go back to that story. I want to understand Jesus. I want to know how Jesus is going to transform my life. So now I got to go back to Genesis chapter 22, where those words are said. And here's what it says in Genesis 22, right at the beginning. Genesis 22, 2 says, then God said, he's speaking to Abraham, take your son. And then here it comes, your only son whom you love. Now, here's the problem with that. Genesis 22 is a very disturbing passage. It's a very frustrating passage. It's a very confusing passage because it says, moving on, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I am going to show you. And you're like, time out. Wait a minute. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting a long time for a son. God promised that they're going to have a child. And so now they have a child. And now God says, okay, I need you to sacrifice the child. So there are three popular ways of dealing with this that I have seen for much of my life. I dealt with it the first way. God is saying, Abraham, in order to show your faith, that you have genuine faith, that you're sold out completely to me, you've got to be willing to deprioritize all of your earthly relationships and make me number one, right? You got to deprioritize people and make me number one. And this showed Abraham had real faith. Like, even if it means you have to sacrifice your child, God has got to be number one. That's the... That's the first way. And then all of a sudden, when I'm in my early 20s, I'm in seminary, we actually, uh, we, we did a little drama of this in the chapel of my seminary. And one of the guys, he was an older guy in our class, he got some rope and he tied up a young guy who was in our class and he threw him up on the altar and he grabbed a knife and he put it over top of him. And I said, uh-oh, 
we got a problem. I mean, before it was just like an abstract thing to me. Like, yeah, God's number one. No problem. If God calls you to kill even your own child, it's okay because Abraham is rewarded for his great faith. And then I saw that and I said, oh my gosh, I have a problem. So first way is, you know what? God's got to be number one. Everybody else gets deprioritized. The way number two is people say, that's seriously messed up. And that's why I don't trust the Bible. And the number three way, which is where I was for many years, <laughs> I said, this is really confusing. This is really frustrating. I'm going to stick my head in the sand and just hope everything works out because I believe this is the word of God, but this doesn't make a bit of sense. I believe it's telling me to prioritize God above all else, but this doesn't make a bit of sense. And people would ask me, isn't that child abuse? I mean, don't you think that Isaac would have been messed up for the rest of his life, knowing his father, God told him, put the knife above me. Isn't that crazy? But finally, I found some peace. So, wisdom literature, the Bible, calls us to meditate. That's a classic wisdom literature. It's intellectually intense. We don't read it, we study it. Like even through the watch of the night, which basically the Bible is saying when it says that is that you're thinking, 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 meditating, you're working up a mental sweat. Okay. The Bible gives us signs and clues. Like it says, whoa, slow down. How does it do that? Well, first let me tell you how my wife, Krista, gives me signs and clues. Like she often does this with stuff that she wants me to take somewhere. She'll place it somewhere. So just like laundry basket. She's done this for years. Take a laundry basket. It's filled with dirty clothes. She puts it at the top of the step. And then I come to it. Okay. So it's just placed there because she knows I have to pass by those steps. Right. And so it's there. And I look Look at that laundry basket. And I say, hmm, I wonder why it's there. I'm not really sure what to do with it. I have to slow down. I don't know what, is it coming up? Is it going down? Now, I know the laundry machine's downstairs, but still, I'm not sure. Does that mean it goes downstairs? I'm confused. What if it's actually clean laundry and it's come up? And so I just slow down. I step over it and I go downstairs. Okay. And she gets really, really frustrated with me. All right. But it's a sign. It makes me slow down. So how does God make us slow down in the Bible? Chiasms. Chiasms. God puts repeating patterns in the Bible. And there's one in Genesis 22. It's really cool. What is a chiasm? A chiasm is like this structure. It's like A, B, C, B, A. And the two A's mirror each other. The two B's mirror each other. And the C, the center, is the point of the point. It's what the whole deal is about, right? That's a chiasm. Well, there's one right here in Genesis 22. Look at the first verse. This is what the first verse says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now look at verse number 11. But the angel Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do you see that? Here I am, he replied. It's at the beginning and it's at the end. So that really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean there's a chiasm here. It means slow down. There could be something here at this point. It's just a laundry basket and that's all it is. But it makes the same, hmm, why is this laundry basket here? Is there something more to be seen here? Let me slow down and check it out. Now, here's something else that a student of the Bible would pick up. This is the only recorded conversation we have of Abraham and his son Isaac. This is it. This is it. Do you think that's a big deal? When God puts something in the Bible, it's a big deal. And when you only get one recorded conversation between a father and a son, particularly between Abraham and Isaac, you know, big people in the Bible, it's a big deal. So now you're like, hmm, this is a big deal. How about this? God is testing Abraham. What's he testing him for? 
And I thought for years, God is testing to see if Abraham will prioritize God above all else, even to the point of sacrificing his own son. Now, let's move and let's look. That's the edges, verse 1 and verse 11. That's the edges of the chiasm. Let's go to the center and see maybe if there's something else there. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe it's just a laundry basket that we need to step over and keep on going. Okay? Like I normally do. But let's look at verses 6 through 9. This is what it says. Abraham took the wood. Okay. Now you look down at the end of that and you see wood again. Wood comes up again. It comes up in verse 6 and then it comes up at the end of verse 9. Now let's look a step into the chiasm. At the end of verse number 6, it says, as the two of them went together. And then at the end in verse 8, it says the same thing. And the two of them went together. And now all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got the edges and then we step into the middle and we have more mirroring that's going on. The same wood, wood, together, together. Now you're like, wait a minute. I think we got a chiasm that's going on here. Starts with here I am, ends with here I am, wood, wood, together, together. Now what we see here is a big sign that God has put on this passage of Scripture saying, full stop. How does Krista get me to finally take the laundry basket down the stairs? You know what she does? She'll write this huge sign and she'll say, stop, take me down the steps. Now I'm not confused anymore. Like before I was confused. What am I to do with this laundry basket? But now she's put a sign on there. She's helped me out. And the sign says, take me downstairs. Now I know what to do. I pick it up and take downstairs. God's done the same thing right here. He's put a big sign on Genesis 22. And he says, look, there's something important here. I want you to be able to understand this really important passage in the center of the passage of the chiasm is going to help you to interpret it correctly so that we don't get messed up. Because if we mess it up, if we deprioritize people, if we think that God's calling us to prioritize him and to maybe even sacrifice people, we'll get the whole thing wrong, which is how I interpreted for so many years. So, okay. So Krista gets me to take the basket down the stairs and God says, hello, I got something I want to show you. Now, in a chiasm, redundancy, repetition is important. And what a chiasm will do is it will annoy us. It'll annoy the life right out of us with rapid fire repetition of redundancy. And here, it's the word called viomer. So the word in Hebrew, viomer, which means said, or he said, or Abraham said, or Isaac said, right? Rapid fire succession. Now, what you have coming up on the screen for you right there, I want to show you it in Hebrew to just show you how it just like very annoyingly, actually one of the times it's so annoying, it stands out just like a sore thumb. It just sticks out right there. Let me read to you. This is from the old King James because not all the, uh, not all the translations like go through these gymnastics of of the language, okay? But the King James actually does, and it actually is the only one that I had that shows the Viomer language in it. It says, in Isaac spake, Viomer, right? That H559, it's from this, um, it's from a website called Blue Letter Bible. I use it to study, and it's showing you the Hebrew word for Viomer. So watch how it does it. So so Isaac Viomered unto Abraham his father, and Viomered my father, and he said, Viomer, 
here I am, my son. And he said, Vayomer, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham, Vayomer, my son, blah, blah, blah. So five times in rapid succession. A, B, C, B, A. Rapid, so in the edges, and then you work closer, and now you get down to just these verses in seven and eight, and five times in rapid succession, you have this Vayomer. Again, a chiasm is drawing you to the center. It's like the center of gravity, and that is where you're going to be able to figure out, here is what this passage is really telling me. Okay, I'll, I want to put it to you uh, again. I just want to show you the lines right down and draw your attention to the center of the gravity. And Isaac said to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, right? Here's the center of all of it. And he said, here I am, my son. Notice that. And he said, behold the fire. And Abraham said, God will provide. Look at the center one right there. And he said, here I am, my son. What is being said here is if you want to correctly interpret this, this is what chiasms do, then you're focused on that middle one where it says, here I am, my son. It is a Hebrew word called hineni. In other words, this word hineni means I'm fully present to you, Isaac. I'm here physically. I'm here mentally. I'm fully accessible to you emotionally. I am 100% present. He's already said hineni, here I am to God. So he's saying, God, I'm here, Hanani, 100%, fully present to you. But at the same time, I am fully present to Isaac. Now, why is this so important? Because Abraham in the past has not Hananied. He has not been fully present for God and for people. So what did he do to his wife, Sarah? When he was in a difficult situation, he put his wife, Sarah, into the arms of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he walked away. He was not present to her, and it caused massive problems. And in that trip down to Egypt, they picked up a maidservant, and her name is Hagar. And when Sarah, desperate to have a child, says, let me do what you did to me. Let me put Hagar, my maidservant, into your arms. He was not present for Sarah. He should have said, no, Sarah, we are not doing this. We are not doing this. He had done it to her and now she's doing it to him and it broke Sarah's heart and now he's allowing that process to fulfill even more. He was not present to Sarah. He was not present to Hagar. And Hagar gets pregnant and they have a son, Ishmael. And then finally, Sarah gets so frustrated. She says, get rid of Hagar, get rid of Ishmael. And what does Abraham do? It's cruel. He is very rich. He's extremely rich and he gives Hagar and Ishmael, just this little bit of food and this little bit of water and sends them into the middle of a desert to die. Is he present to them physically, mentally, emotionally? No, he's walked away from them. He has deprioritized people. He was not Hanani for them. And what God is challenging Abraham, he says, look, I'm going to test you. He's not testing Abraham and saying, will you make me number one and deprioritize people to even to the point of sacrificing John? He says, no. He has already deprioritized people. And God says, that will not do. Now I'm going to give you a test. Have you finally learned that to prioritize people is what I'm calling you to do? That people who prioritize God prioritize people. This is what I'm calling you. I'm calling you to prioritize people. And now the words of Jesus really make sense. That when you're at the temple, saying, God, you're the number one thing in my life, and you're there, 
to sacrifice to God. You're there to spend time with God. And you remember, ah, I have a relationship in my life with a person that is broken. Leave me, God says, leave me and walk away and make things right with them. And so for me, for so long, I had misinterpreted this text and God's putting this big, huge sign out there saying, look, if you're prioritizing me, you're going to prioritize people. And Abraham is passing the test, not because he prioritized people by deprioritizing God. He's passing the test because he's struggling with both. And believe me, it's a struggle. How am I going to both prioritize God in my life and prioritize people? And that is the test that Abraham passed. How about you? Are you willing to prioritize people in 2023? Are you fully present to people? Is there somebody that you have checked out on physically? Is there somebody you've checked out on mentally and emotionally? How many of us have conversations and we just hear noise going on, but we're not really listening? Are you physically present, but emotionally and mentally completely checked out? We have to stop that. Our minds are so distracted. We have such short attention spans. Can we put our phones down? Can we put the noise down? Can we get fully present? Can we connect with people? Because God is calling us. This magic elixir is people. And if you prioritize God, you're going to prioritize people. And that is what God is saying. And science is coming around and says, yes, that is the thing that we actually need to do. We need to be Hanani. What does it mean to prioritize God? It means we won't deprioritize people. If I want to get right with God, I do that by getting right with people. The magic elixir to life is people. And we need to spend time doing that. Now, I've given some resources to the bottom of your notes, three different books. I want to read a quote from Dr. Sue Johnson. She says this, nothing makes us stronger and happier than loving, stable, long-term bonds with others. I would highly recommend those three books that I put on your notes right there. Dr. Sue Johnson and the other book that I listed there by Marissa Franco will give you science behind this. And all that science is doing is backing up the very priority that God gave us clearly. Big flashing light in Genesis 22. Franco says this, you want to make friends? She just gives you a very simple step-by-step. Find and attend a group that meets regularly. Assume people in the group like you. Overcome covert avoidance by opening up conversation with others in the group. And then finally, invite your favorite person or persons in the group to hang out one-on-one. What is it that you need to do to prioritize people in your life? Do you already have people in your life that you're not prioritizing? Have you checked out on some people? Where do you need to check back in? You want 2023 to be a magical year? Well, here's the magic elixir. Prioritize people because you have prioritized God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you that it's so powerful and practical. Help us to correctly understand your word that our lives might be transformed in Christ's name. Amen.